0: Hello and welcome to a joyful pause podcast. My name is Nicole Taylor and I'm the author and host of a joyful pause 52 ways to love life. And I'm so excited today for you to meet my friend Joelle Han. Hi, Joel. Hey, Nicole. I'm so excited to be here. Yay, me too. Um, so Joelle is also known as the Brooklyn book doctor. And she is an award-winning writer and book coach who has developed books for top publishers on self transformation, activism, spirituality, wellness, finance, business, and more. Joelle has worked with world-changing CEOs, spiritual masters, humanitarian activists, influencer coaches, scholars, entrepreneurs, and many others. She originally moved to New York City as a poet and her spiritual practice developed out of her passion for yoga, which has become a pillar of her personal life and professional work. And that's part of why I wanted to have Joelle on the podcast is because I actually know her from having met her at my spiritual home, the Himalayan Institute, and having taken one of her workshops. And I just love the way that she weaves spirituality and to the way that she works, because to me they are one and the same. So I wanted to talk to her a bit more about that. So buckle up. Thank you, Joelle, for being here.
1: I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for the invitation.
0: Sweet. So tell us a little bit about Brooklyn Book Doctor and what made you want to help people in that way?
1: Yeah. So I worked in uh, publishing in New York City for almost 10 years as a developmental editor. And then I branched out on my own. And at first I was freelancing, which meant I was taking on book projects and developing them. I also collaborated with people, helping them what's also known as ghostwriting, their books and proposals, and working in, in many different ways editorially with people working on nonfiction books. And at a certain point, actually one after one of the books that I worked on, which was um, the Personal Finance Book for Women, I learned so much working on that, that I realized that I could do things a little bit differently, like work a little less piecemeal and help a lot more people at one time. And I slowly learned how to, um, build an online business. Now that sounds really fancy. What I do is very micro. (laughs) It's not like (laughs) a huge business or anything. I, I'm, I, I, I'm much more of a Yogi poet than a business person. But Brooklyn Book Doctor is a little tiny micro editorial business now. And and the way that I've focused what I do from all that experience, both as a writer, which I didn't mention, but I came to New York as a writer, uh, both as a writer and as a book person on the publishing side, is to offer um, what is now my signature program called Book Proposal Academy, which takes people from the seed of a really good idea for a nonfiction book, which sometimes is memoir also, all the way through to the place where they can confidently pitch it to an agent or an editor. So that's like, what is your book? And how is it structured? And how would you talk about it to other people? How do you understand it yourself? And then how do you present it? So it's this whole journey. It's a book journey that we go on in the Academy. And you joined us for like the first step of that or what I conceive of as the first step of that. There are definitely many ways to write a book, but you join us for that first little bit. And then after that, the Academy goes on and we go through all these other different phases. So that's Brooklyn Book Doctor in a nutshell. I also do some one-to-one coaching, but mostly it's all around Book Proposal Academy.
0: Oh, I love that. It's just really wonderful to have it feels like a friend walking next to you while you're in that process. Um, when I wrote a joyful pause, I was just inspired and was like, okay, I'm going to write this thing. Um, and I felt like when it came time to publish it, I was meeting with agents and going to book fairs and ultimately decided to put it out on my own. But, um, what I loved about your class was that for Joyful Pause, it kind of came from, it kind of felt like it downloaded itself into my head. I feel like everybody says that, but that really did feel true for me. And with the um, spiritual memoir I was working on, like that was just my life. So I felt scared, like, mm. oh, my gosh, it's not happening it's not coming to me in the same way. And what does that mean? And ah, who's going to hold my hand? So mm-hmm. I felt like um, that mini course that I took with you was just a really great way to um, feel like I wasn't in it alone. And writing can be such a solitary thing. And that mm-hmm. feels necessary. And it was just nice to have that, um, that hand holding in the beginning of the process.
1: Yeah, totally. And you know what, I did not know that about you that you had taken your first book out to agents and book fairs and things like that. That's so interesting to learn that. Um, Yes, it can be a lonely process. And I think we have this idea that if we're going to write a book, we have to go off and do it by ourselves and be alone and be in a cabin in the woods or a tower in Italy or something like that <laughs> in order to have the inspiration to feel passionate about it and, and for that all to come through. And that so rarely works for people. Maybe it worked mm-hmm. for somebody at some point, but it doesn't really work for today and who we are today.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I totally feel that. So let's get a little bit more into um, how you bring spirituality into the way that you work with people. Cause when I think of creativity, like I I have a hard time separating that from spirituality. Like to me, there's a certain kind of feeling that comes that comes first. And then I want to sit down and like, create something. But I would say that that inner feeling feels like a connection to something bigger than me. And yes, too, like, yes, if you are going to write a book, like, you do need to put in structure or you're never going to get that thing done. But at the same time, like, even once you put the structure in, it's like your being knows that it's time and opens up to something else. So that's my experience. But I wanted to hear like, what made you want to bring spirituality into how you work with people?
1: Yeah, it's such a good question. I, I don't think it was a very conscious thing. And I don't, I just want to be clear that I don't offer spiritual counseling when I'm teaching people or guiding them. I feel like this is a secular process and people have their own practices and they're writing a book and that might not be connected to their spirituality at all. But because I have such a committed spiritual practice also um, with the Himalayan Institute and another teacher that that can't help, but come through in how I approach, how I coach people, how I teach people, how I hold space for people. And I do find that the things that I have learned from these great traditions do help me to help other people. Like what I have learned in myself and how to approach, um, situations in life or questions or intuition, or even when to, when to act and when not to act, those kinds of things that is coming through me when I am guiding other people. Uh, so it's not a, it's not a dogmatic thing. It's not an overt thing. I don't know that anyone would know that my spiritual practice is informing so much of what I'm doing. Um, but it's definitely there running in the background and affecting um, all the things that I say, how I talk to people, how I am with people. And that's really important to me because if I think, if I think, if I divorced what is so meaningful to me, what's been so nourishing for me, which is uh, a deep spiritual practice from the work that I do day to day, it would be. A hard grind, and I don't think that translates well into my client work or feedback or who I attract or any of those things.
0: Yeah, totally. Totally. And it's like, yeah, I don't find you doing anything super overt, and it felt like sacred space. Mm. And we were on Zoom, you know? <laughs> and so to me, I was just like, okay, like I can feel, I can feel feel something coming through her in the way that this space feels, um, to have a bunch of strangers immediately feel like they were in sacred space is just really powerful. And I love that it's not, uh, that's something that I'm super passionate about too, that you don't have to bring in any dogma. You can be doing something that feels, or that could be classified as like quote unquote mundane. But when you bring your whole self, that just invites other people to do the same.
1: That's right, that and that's that creates a powerful container. I'm really happy to hear you say that because that is my hope. But it's also not something that I am. Uh, like I said, I'm not directing anything in in a spiritual way. It's just I do my practice. I show up for what comes up for me in my practice, and I try to show up for others in a way that has integrity with my practice. And that's really, that's the container that, that, that's what I bring to the container of uh, the the work that I do. Um, I think it's also interesting what you said about the connection between spirituality and creativity. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And you were alluding to it that they seem to come from the same place. Do you wanna talk about that? Like, what's your experience of that?
0: Yeah. So it's like um, it's like for me, I get this if I'm not if I'm outside of the structure of like oh, okay, I'm working on a project and I work on that from nine to ten every day. Sometimes that's just like literally sitting down and having that structure there, and then the words begin to come. And other times, if I'm writing, it comes from I don't know. I took a walk and I really noticed the dew on the grass and it made me feel this like quiet, soft connection inside. And that made me want to write, Mm -hmm. you know, and that soft, quiet connection is similar to a feeling that I get if I am at a certain place in my meditation practice or in my chanting practice. So It feels so similar to me that there's something deeper that I'm in touch with. And sometimes I'm just meditating, so I'm resting in that. And other times it's like I feel that and it makes me want to express something that has felt meaningful to me. And my ways of creating are more, yeah, I mean, I think... And I also would say I am that person. um, I think sometimes maybe it's cheesy, but I don't really care of like, I do think just life is a creative act. And so even, you know, what do I do after I have that moment with the morning dew on the grass? You know, how do I talk to my husband or how do I pet my dog or show up on a work call? Like even just that feeling, getting in touch with that feeling, it kind of goes into how I show up for creating life as it is. So I think Mm -hmm. that's kind of, yeah, Mm -hmm. that's kind of, I like, actually, I feel it like in my heart right now. It's really nice Mm -hmm. (laughs) just being in this conversation with you. But yeah, what does that mean? Like, what does that mean for you?
1: Yeah, I think that, that first of all, like spirituality and creativity are both really Big terms, really huge terms. So, um, I think the way we're talking about it is so interesting because we're kind of talking about it as a way of expressing connection to source,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: in and in the Himalayan Institute practice, it is meditation and mantra japa. A lot of the times, so repeating a mantra um, to to really be in the energy of that mantra, and in um and then and then creating that creates a field an energetic field that then we're reabsorbed into and that feels very nourishing and i think the creative act when when you're sitting down to write or i'm writing or something like that the best feeling and and i think people can relate to this of being in flow being in flow to me is similar but different then that experience of being absorbed in the energetic field of uh, that's created by a mantra practice, or a, a deep meditation session, They're they're similar in that the material world and our responsibilities as we know it, where we have the got to get this done, got to get this done, got to get here, got to go there, got I'm responsible for this um, time is ticking, that fades into the background. It's still there, but it fades into the background. And the thing that's more interesting and present is what's happening in the embodied moment, which is a little bit outside of time. And I find that incredibly nourishing, um, both in my meditation mantra practice and in my own writing. And when I don't have enough of those things, I start to feel like I'm like, where, where, I can't locate myself. Like, where am I? What is happening? What am I doing? Why am I doing this? It's just moving through time and moving through tasks. So I think those, you know, like it is a joyful pause, both of those things. They have bumps in them. Like sometimes the meditation practice doesn't go, does it, is not as satisfying today as it was yesterday. Or sometimes I'm looking forward to being in the flow with writing, even if it's just journal writing and for whatever reason, it doesn't happen. Like sometimes I just cannot put my phone down, which is ridiculous, but sometimes it's that, um, so there are little bumps, but if, if I am consistently showing up for both of those things, meditation and writing my, pleasure and nourishment comes from being a little bit out of time and definitely away from my to-do list, which I feel like is at least one step towards feeling connected with source.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I find it interesting that you use the word out of time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Cause it's fascinating. It's like, is it out of time or is it like deep in time? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, are you just so there that? Oh, mm. man, that's a. I don't know. I just blew my own mind. But I think it's. It feels like both. You
1: know. Well, I can. I can speak to that if you.
0: Yeah. If yeah. You want. You Let's go deeper that. into that.
1: Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> we're really going deep. Um, um. So I have been this summer uh, listening a lot to Eckhart Tolle's "The Power of Now," which mm-hmm. in it totally surprised me. Um, it's an old book, you know, it was published in 2000 or something like that, 99, you know, a long time ago. And I really poo-pooed that book for a long time, but man, I have listened to that book probably six, seven times now. And he talks a lot about time in there. Um, the power of now is really what he's saying in a nutshell is that now is the only time we have. The only time we actually have is now and past is a memory trace and future is a projection that's either better or, or worse than our present moment. It's like a fear. fear, a fear or an anticipation. But the only thing we really have is now. And I feel like practice and being in flow and writing both come into the now, which you could say is time. He says it's not time. He says like the now is not really in time. Um, as we know it, it's not in sequential time. It's just presence. So now is kind of presence. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. That tracks then. Yeah. 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 I love that. And I love, um, you know, I think it's always the both and right. Like to me, there's the formal practice that helps you cultivate the qualities of mind that allow you to more easily presence. But then there's the informal practice of just whatever those things are that people have that bring them into present moment awareness. And then either of those for me brings me into that connection to the divine. Mm-hmm. However, I'm experiencing that at the moment. So, yeah. So I guess, you know, when I think of coming into or Kind of set it, setting the conditions for my creativity to want to express itself. My mind goes a couple of directions. Sometimes it goes toward quiet. Sometimes it goes toward movement, whether that's taking a walk or jumping on my rebounder or doing some asana. Um, how about for you, when you think of like your favorite ways, my original question was, what are your favorite ways to get quiet so you can access creativity? But then as I was looking at that, I was like, maybe it's not about getting quiet. Um, So why don't I just open that up for what are your favorite ways? (laughs) Because it could be any of those things. So yeah, like Mm -hmm. how about for you?
1: Yeah, I, because I, I work quite a lot, and I need to find my way back into creativity on the weekends. I try to give me myself a few hours on the weekends. Um, I really work into it and that it's a whole process. Like I go to yoga and then I go for a bike ride and I go spend time in nature. And then I listen to a spiritual talk or something. So all of these things go into, um, my preparation to, to have a create, have creative time with myself. So for me, and this is just my, my particular personality, I think, because I, um, I'm a little bit rajasic. So I, I have like energy I need to spend, especially after a week of sitting in front of a computer. I definitely do. And working at home, like I need to change my location. I need to move my body. I need to be in nature. And that is how I get quiet as a, as a, someone who is active and in my mind, I need to go out and be active physically in order to come in and go deeper. So like at the Himalayan Institute, I'm going to be walking that hill. I'm going to be walking that (laughs) hill as much as possible. (laughs) I need to, to shake out the, the, the stuck energy that just is where that, that just happens for me. So yeah, movement is really, a big part of it also helps with being embodied. And that helps me to be present. Of course, they're related. So I I think, you know, it's about having tools in your toolkit and knowing when to use them for your particular situation and your particular personality.
0: Yeah, totally. Totally. I recently got, I don't know, <laughs> this is so random, but I um, started I really like this one song by Bad Bunny, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a, there's a, it's like an older album, and there's a guest on it called, his name is L Alpha, and I just, his voice is crazy and the beat is sick when he comes on, so then I was like, turn on Apple Music, I'm looking for El Alpha songs, and anyway, it's this music, I think the genre is called um, Dembo, And it's popularized um, in Dominican Republic. And I just am obsessed with it right now. And when you said the part about movement, I was like, yeah, the other day I was just put on some of that. And I was shaking it. And then I had, like, so many ideas. (laughs) (laughs) So there is this piece of, like, there's just so many ways. Like, sometimes you've been moving a bunch and stillness helps. Sometimes you've been really still and movement helps. It's like, like you said, tools in the toolbox and not being too rigid about any of them. This is bringing up an idea of like, so what do you say? Like sometimes I have people who tell me they're not creative and I'm just like, what? Mm. Like you're a human moving through the world. You have to be creative because you made 8 million choices today. Whether you thought about it or not, it was a choice. So like, what do you say? Do you ever have clients or people who are kind of like, they don't, like it's hard for them to see themselves as creative or is by the time they get to you, they want to write a book. So they're like about that life.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think mostly people feel the people I work with don't feel blocked around. uh, They don't have that particular block of I am not a creative person. Uh Um, They they may have other struggles around the idea of themselves as as an author or the process of getting the pages done. Um, I think that you're I'm totally on board with you that everybody is creative. In their own particular way, and it can be very small ways, like what did you make for lunch, or or what did you choose at the grocery store, or maybe if you don't go to the grocery store, what, what did you choose when you went to I don't know what, <laughs> the gym, um, how you chose to get somewhere by car, by bicycle, by bus, but like you you're making choices which 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 naturally suggests that your choosing something for yourself. There is an act of creativity in feeding ourselves and getting to places and making decisions all the time. But I think if that label of creativity is stressful, then there's just no need to use it. There's no need to say, I'm not creative or to say, I am creative. Like you just don't need it. It's really about tuning in to what you prefer to do, what resonates with you, becoming present with yourself And then letting what flows come from that and making decisions from that place. So if labels are holding you back, don't use them. There's no need, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I like that. It's very liberating for people. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I love that. So moving toward um, people who are interested in writing. And I'm, I'm actually taking a workshop. Up at Omega in the next couple of weeks on memoir writing mostly just because I would like I've been avoiding it <laughs> so I kind of like oh I'll go on a retreat I'll eat some good food I'll be in community and like face whatever I'm running from there and um for me the have two kind of have a spiritual memoir in mind but the one that feels more pressing right now I is, um, I think I had a tough. I had a tough spring because I had a miscarriage, and when I was looking for, like, writing and reading are two ways that I make sense of when the world feels like it makes no sense. Mm-hmm. So I went looking for a book on miscarriages to kind of see how people dealt with this, and I did not find much. Mm-hmm. Um, And I was kind of like, so I just started writing my own experience to kind of process things as they were happening. There's a part of me that's curious about if I will do anything with that or if it's just for my own healing. But I guess I'm sharing that partially to lead into the question of like, how does telling our story, well, whether telling our story is to, the Google doc on our computer and it never sees the light of day or whether we are telling that story to a larger group of people. Like, how do you think telling our story helps us to heal?
1: Oh, it's such a good question. I love that you asked this. Um, it is, it can be very important to, for ourselves, just as you say, to understand what we've been through or what we're going through to write it down. It's not everybody's way but it is a way for a lot of people. This is a way to process things and it's important and you can do it during the process. You could do it after the process. You could do it many years after the process. It's all good and it can be a powerful way to transmute something that was confusing or hurtful or fearful or generally challenging into something that we have a better understanding of that it's not dominating us anymore, hopefully, and we it's a way of metabolizing it so we can um, put it down and move forward. That's really important, and it's very different than writing a publishable book. And this is where this is something that I've had to distinguish for myself over the years, both as a writer and as a book coach, because as a poet, it's all about feelings and intuition and things that are in the ether and getting them out on paper and making them interesting to myself. Um, but as a uh, nonfiction writer, which is what I've been doing more lately, you don't have as much leeway. You, you're not, there's not enough white space on the page. You have to really make those connections with pe- for people. So they're following you on your journey, on your um, discovery, on the ups and downs. And then it has to be, A great experience for somebody else. And that's where there's more consideration on the part of the author, me, to take into consideration how my audience is going to understand or not understand what I'm saying. And that's where there's a fine line because I want to say the story, I want to narrate the story in some kind of way that I've decided about and that's how I want to do it. And then at the same time, it's equally important to make sure that I'm giving my audience enough clues. So they're coming along with me, threading things together so they can follow me and be in that experience with me, like learning how to do embodied writing. So it's not just for myself anymore. I'm telling a great story in a compelling way, but now it's for somebody else. And that is really different than writing for healing. I think they mm. both have their place.
0: Yeah. say Just say like a teaspoon more.
1: <laughs> I think <laughs> they both have their place. And sometimes, especially you were talking about memoir writing, especially for memoir writing, uh, sometimes memoirists have to write a lot first to figure out what the book is, to figure out if it is something that they want to make public, just like you said, they want it to they want it to reach other people and have other people experience that story and then after writing a lot and figuring that out then decide okay is this something i want to publish or did i just need to really write that and commit myself to that with a lot of enthusiasm for a while but now i actually don't need to publish it i just needed to get it out so for memoir i think there can be a period of time where you just don't know which one it is or how it might go. You have to spend a little bit of time figuring that out. And sometimes the answer can be surprising. It could go either way. Um, mm-hmm. I, I talk to a lot of people who are really eager to write their memoir and publish it. And often it is from uh, an impulse to be heard, to speak and be heard which is totally natural, very healthy. And sometimes that doesn't translate into a book that other people are going to buy, right? It's not gonna become a purchasable item that's gonna sell like hotcakes, right? So that's really the difference, I think, between the two. And you can't know sometimes till you're quite far along the way.
0: Yeah, I think that's something that you're really good at is reminding people of the business. <laughs> you know, yeah. that like sometimes you're out there and just like, oh, I'm romanticizing writing and I have my coffee and I put my feelings on paper and that's all great and that's all valid. And that is separate from like the business of publishing, yeah. you know. Um, and so I do appreciate you just making that distinction because there's nothing wrong with the first one. Mm -hmm. And that second one is a bit of a different animal, you Mm -hmm. know? Yeah, Um, exactly. And the patience, you know, I did, I was sharing, I did talk to some people about Joyful Paws and they gave me all kinds of great advice of build my platform and get to this many followers. And, You know, this is a glutted area because you've got famous people in it. And I just was like, I want to get it out. So I did it myself. But there's a cost to that, you know, which is that like a thousand people read it, not 10,000. Right. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. like there, and I'm very comfortable with that decision that I made, but also it's this piece of like, it's just a different world when you want to be engaging in, That business as opposed to maybe for some people it's enough to have had the experience of writing about something that was meaningful to them and then completing that
1: yeah Yeah. that can be powerful and having something to give to friends and family having something Mm -hmm. completed is very satisfying Uh, and um, I think that it's yeah just like you say the business of it is a reality that publishers are, they need to make a profit. They're not a nonprofit mm-hmm. um, operation. And so they want, and they know what's out there, and they know what books have been published, they know what books are going to be published, I mean, to some extent. And they want that fresh take on the situation. Um, in memoir, mm-hmm. a lot of people are writing about trauma in some way. So mm-hmm. the question is for a publisher, what makes your trauma stand out? Or are you telling the story in a really new, compelling way that makes it, uh, feel fresh, old, old situation, something we know really well, but your take on it or your situation is new and, um, and, and distinctive. That's what they're thinking, because they're thinking, how are we going to tell people about this? How are we going to get people excited about this? And, um, yes, (laughs) those are their considerations. And as an author, you're thinking, like you did, do I want to build my followers? Do I want to um, put myself out there now? And when the book comes out, do do I enjoy talking to people in that way? And I I think that self-publishing can be a really viable choice for people where, like you said, you want to get it done, you want to get it out, the inspiration is now. And then you'll talk about it on your podcast and on your social media and in your uh, any other kind of public work you do, and that's the life that it will have.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, what is inspiring you these days about writing and publishing? What's your sources of inspiration?
1: I'm always really inspired by my clients. Mm-hmm. I I find the way that they work through the process of putting their book together, of putting their proposal together, of getting ready to publish which nobody really knows until they go through it, right? We have an idea of what it's going to be like to be an author. And then you go through the process and realize it's nothing like your idea. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think, I think having the book, holding the book in your hand is still a wonderful, wonderful thing. Or, you know, those, those moments, those um, highlight moments, like you get an agent, that's a highlight moment or you finish your proposal, let's go back. You finish your proposal, that's a highlight moment. You get your agent, that's a highlight moment. You get a book deal, that's a highlight moment. You, you turn it in, it gets published. You hold, you know, there's all these really exciting, satisfying places along the way. And it, it never looks and feels like what we think it's going to. So watching my clients go through that and find the resources in themselves to uh, adjust to that, to accommodate for that, to meet their own gremlins, however they do that, and move forward or make decisions that have integrity for themselves. That to me is really inspiring. Like watching people in their power, I guess like any coach, right? You, The thing that you take joy in is seeing people find their own resources inside and blossom forward. That is just incredibly satisfying. And I will say that I have two clients, sorry to interrupt you, two clients, one client who I worked with in 2018 who struggled and she then had breast cancer and she's not really a linear thinker but she's a very powerful presence. Her book is coming out now in November and I couldn't be more thrilled for her because I know what a journey it's been on and I know that this book is going to really help a lot of people. It's called The Kitchen Healer. Her name is Jules Davis. I'm not plugging her but I'm excited for her. Um, the the book is on Amazon if you want to see it. Um, it's coming out like her journey did end up in this beautiful book that I think is going to be really wonderful for her and everyone who buys it. And another client who's been on the journey for quite a while, just got a book deal. You know, this for me is like people doing their work that that is theirs to do in the world and having success with the book dream is like. That makes me feel like good ideas can come to market, to use a very business term, and benefit a lot of people without sacrificing the humanity of it. You know, it's not a cynical uh, process. That, to me, is really inspiring.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. And it sounds like you've helped so many people have a journey like that. Um That's-
1: that's my intention. Feel,
0: yes, yes. Well, I see you. I see you, girl, doing <laughs> it. Um, so I feel like as we've been talking about writing, but we've also been talking about community, right? Like writing and then offering that to people who will benefit and then writing and then being in a group of folks who are working toward that um, publication journey together. So as with anything, there's always this pulsation between our experience as individuals and then our experiences in community. And to that end, I think I want to end on the question that I always end on, which is in the context in which you are lit up these days, what is your dream or what is your vision for our collective liberation?
1: <laughs> a small question. Just a little bit. <laughs> well, you know, at this, this moment, I, I've been, I don't know, I've been listening to the astrologers and various other people that this, this moment right now, it's, um, September, 2022 is a a heightened period of time for fear and for love. And I feel like we're all being asked to make a choice and I'm, I'm in that as much as anybody else of, um, what choice am I making? I feel like being present, like I was talking about earlier, um, making conscious choices, being embodied, and really I'm talking on a spiritual level, but it can come down to a day-to-day level of what choice am I making right now? Just being conscious of that. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I think bringing, bringing our presence to what we do and making the choices that we intend to make, as far as that's possible, is what is going to help us stay connected to love in the, the universal sense, rather than getting sucked into fear our world is plenty full of fear right now. It always has been, but right now in particular, it seems like a lot. And I think, I think that being present, making conscious choices, um, having that time connected to source in however that feels right for people, that that is what is going to be so important for our collective liberation, no matter what tradition you're in, if you're, or if you're not in a tradition, no matter how you express this connectedness, I think it's really important to prioritize that now.
0: Mm. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on and for sharing yourself. Is there any final expression that you're wanting to make before we're complete today?
1: Yeah, I think I would just say that, that um, there is an old idea that spirituality and creativity and business and the marketplace cannot go together, that they are anathema to each other. And I would just say that I don't, I don't think that anymore. I think I used to feel that way too, as especially as a poet, but I don't think that anymore. I think that they are of a piece. So it's not a, you're not a sellout to try to write a book that's going to, be published in a traditional way, and you're also not a sellout if you decide to self-publish or if you just decide to write for yourself. I think that that we have certain ideas about these things that don't necessarily help us to go along in our soul journey, our spiritual journey, or our creative journey. So they're all they're all they can all be really good choices together. Um, so I would just say I would just say that they're not so siloed as they might seem.
0: Oh, yeah. I love that so much because I feel like what you just shared is letting us end on a note of choice that if you kind of put blinders on and put those four things in different boxes, you're limited in the choices that you have. And when you break those dividers down and get curious about how those things can play together, you return to having all the choice in the world.
1: Exactly. And that's a very flexible place to be in.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Joelle. This was fun. I had fun.
1: Thank you so much for having me on. I had a great time.
0: Awesome. All right. And thank you, listeners. Um, Joelle, tell them what your website is because I forgot to write it in my show notes. (laughs) Sure.
1: (laughs) Sure. I would be happy to. My website is brooklynbookdoctor.com. So it's Brooklyn, like the city, book B-O-O-K Doctor.com, dot Doctor.com. And I'm also on Instagram at Brooklyn Book Doctor.
0: Perfect. All right, peeps. You can go find her when you feel ready. All right. Thanks for listening.